library fugitives. A support group for people who find themselves lost, dazed, and confused in these search filters <laughs> on AO3. I'm Molly. And I'm Lindsay. And in case you couldn't tell, <laughs> this episode we're going to be discussing our favorite fanfics. Uh, it's gonna get real unhinged in this shit, so be <laughs> ready. This is a very special episode. Okay, so for this episode, we're going to do something we don't normally do. Well, and this is also going to be coming out in April, um, and it's not, it's the end of April, so it's not quite April Fool's, but we want to have a level of unhinged <laughs> behavior. So we are not cutting. We are not cutting. We, wow. There, <laughs> there we go. go. Uh, we're not cutting. We are not editing because normally I spend upwards of an hour an episode editing our audio and that's this is already going to be really long so we're not going to do that to molly also um it's I, kind of a blooperish episode too it's, ki it's kind of appropriate for fan fiction um but we'll all especially with the concept that like people are like often look down on fan fiction when they're not reading it like if they're not in the fan fiction community they're like oh that's weird and it's like there is so much literature like that is considered respectable classic literature that's actually fan fiction uh-huh and we're probably gonna talk we did we did talk about that in our last episode because i just edited that episode um <laughs> about how you know like dante's inferno is bible is self-insert bible fan fiction and stuff like that and um the paradise lost is like an au bible fan fiction yeah so we're just gonna roll with it today yeah so you get a super special episode i am going to be covering two fanfics actually because one leads directly into the other and they are we together make a city by cloud atlas and then runaways are running the night by another cover and Lindsay, which one are you gonna do I am going to be talking about The Hurt and the Healing by The Grey Lady Weeps. Cool beans. So, <laughs> I'm going to start mine by saying that uh, I am a fanfic whore. Uh, Lily. <laughs> the fanfic whore of all whores, to be honest, in my friendships. Bite me. <laughs> you haven't talked to a... Um, Alexis lately, have you? <laughs> okay, but aren't you the one that explained the difference between lemon, lime, and grapefruit to Alexis? I feel like you're the mentor in this situation, and she's the chosen one. And I'm the lovable side character that fucks shit up in the journey of fan fiction. Um. But lately, I've been reading uh, more fan fiction than actual books. Uh, just because with a book, you kind of have to like get invested from the beginning. With fan fiction, you already know the characters. You just get the setting. Yeah. You know? Uh, and honestly, they don't even have to describe the characters half the time because you build your own picture in your head. Um, so I, I just, I mean that in the best possible way, you know? Yeah, no, sorry. I was just being quiet because my stomach was like large, loud growling <laughs> for no reason. So whenever we like finish this, I'm probably going to go inhale some sort of fast food. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had much to eat either. Um, but I also write like a shit ton of fan fiction. 
Oh, you guys, she is the queen of like the pocket sized fan fictions that are like a few chapters and like not even usually they're just punch. like they're just like one chapter. Sometimes but they're, they're like, like five thousand words on average. But like still, like that it like it's short and brief and it packs a punch and they are like fun little bite-sized ficklets and I love them. Yes. No, I some of my favorite lines I've ever written have been in fanfic and not original fiction that I write. Um, there's one that I did, which, you know, <laughs> I mentioned in here, the leverage OT3, um, of course you do. there's, there's a line that I wrote and it's, um, like with those three rarely heard words, they fell on his heart, like rain in the desert and he felt his heart and he felt like I am butchering it because I don't have it right in front of me, but it gave me goosebumps when I wrote it. And, like, four of the comments on it have said, that's my favorite line ever. And I'm like, it is also my favorite line ever. Congratulations. <laughs> so there's... Pull a muscle, patting yourself on the back there. <laughs> but, no, it's, it's like, it'll just be... There's only a couple times that's happened where it's just been, like, this one line that I wrote. And I have to step back and go, I just wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so... um. But aside from the Leverage OT3, most of my fanfic is Clintasha. Oh, gosh. Love yes. my Clintasha. Uh, which, for those of you not up to date um, on the lingo, is the portmanteau of Clint Barton and Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Hawkeye and Black Widow. You can also call them Blackhawk, which is kind of funny. Um, but most people do Clintasha. Um, Whedon, you bastard. You did me fucking dirty in Age of Ultron. Okay. And I've got this whole theory about Endgame, but I'm, I'm going to get into that later. Well, and here's the thing. My thing is, I would have been satisfied with Clintasha. I think they would have been, I think they were wonderfully set up in the first Avengers movie. Uh-huh. See, however, this, is, this is my theory. <laughs> however, since then, like, I, I don't necessarily 100% hate Clint and Laura like I don't Molly hate, does. I don't hate They're Laura. okay. It's just, you really love Clintasha. Yes. My thing is, I really love Winter Widow. Yes. Okay. So you're really going to love this fic. Anyway, okay. um, <laughs> spoilers for the fic. But uh, no, I don't hate Laura. My love for Clintasha eclipses my love for Laura. And your hate for Joss Whedon. <laughs> Just. But also the whole theory that I have about Endgame. So they've said from the beginning that this is how Natasha's arc was going to end. If they had done Clintasha like they said they were going to do before Whedon fucked it up, it would be Clint and Natasha on Vormir, and they have to choose which one of them goes off the fucking cliff. It would have been so much more painful and so much more beautiful, and then we don't have the fucking farm family. <laughs> yeah. That came out of nowhere. Like, it's not that I hate the farm family. The farm family has its place in time. It is not in my fan fiction. You're gonna pop a blood vessel. Why don't you move on to okay. the fan fiction we're talking about today before you get too yeah. heated? Yep, yep. So, um, I write Clintasha fanfic, but I also consume an extreme amount of it, like a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first fic I'm going to talk about is really, really short, and it's called "We Together Make a City." Um, and I was first introduced to Cloud Atlas's work, um, by a mutual Tumblr friend, Cassie. Uh. Cloud Atlas came highly recommended for her Clintasha AUs, and her 4,000-word musician AU, We Together Make a City, resonated in my soul. 
um, I go back to this fic over and over. And every time I look up at the stars and see Cassiopeia, which is a big plot point in this really short little fanfic, um, I get this stupid goofy grin on my face. And I even got the constellation tattooed a few months ago. Um, Cause it's a nerd thing, but it's also like very subtle and it's yeah. referencing a fan. Like, you know, it's a fun little thing. It's not overtly nerd, but it means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, as good as it is, we together make a city is not why we're here. Uh, desperate for more Clintasha musician AUs, I was scrolling through Cloud Atlas's works when I found these two things she'd gifted to another author a fan mix of songs and fan art of an album cover for the story Runaways Are Running the Night by another cover. Which, first of all, it's the title... Show, it's a Greatest Showman lyric. Which, it's just... And so every time I listen to the Greatest Showman soundtrack and I get to the part where it's Runaways Are Running... And I just... I oh You think of this fancy thing. Yes, now. and it makes me happy. Um, I read almost none of the tags on the fic which uh, is going to lead to my delighted confusion later, other than seeing it was Clintasha and it was a musician AU. Uh, That's all I knew. Uh, (laughs) But Runaways Are Running the Night uh, opens opens in 2018 with comedian Clint Barton, which another cover states they lifted basically his entire backstory from John Mulaney's career. Without um, all of the cheating and... They wrote this in 2018. Yeah, so this was fair. before all of that came out. Fair. Um, but he has just finished filming his Netflix special in New York. His friend Bucky, James Buchanan Barnes, has sent him a picture from L.A. of Clint's wife, Natasha, in cutoffs and a tank top, heading into a recording studio. Uh, musing as to why Clint's wife... What? Hold on. This is, this is again, where we would normally edit and we're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, but he sends a picture da, 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 in a tank top heading towards a recording studio, musing as to why Clint's wife hates him. It's stupid hot in California and Bucky is whining. And Clint is freezing his ass off on the roof of a building in New York. He just wants to be home. This introduces us to the style this piece will be written in, flashing forwards and backwards in time, snippets of social media slipped in, tweets, Instagram posts, articles, and the like. Um, Scott Lang, another comedian on tour with Clint, drunkenly tells him he should just fly home early, so Clint decides he will. When he gets there, it's ridiculously early in the morning, and Clint sees both Natasha and Bucky's cars in the drive. This isn't unusual, as Bucky is what amounts to live-in security. Clint stops in the doorway, reveling in the feeling of home, when he hears a noise. A moan, low and urgent, and the sound of falling dishes. Now I'm going to stop here really quickly and tell you that if this was an actual book, it would be classified as erotica. So this is smut. This is super duper smutty, smutty, lovely goodness. (laughs) Um, If, you know, we were in heat ratings, we'd be off the charts on the Scovels. Um, But... Where are we at on the citrus scale? Oh, we are all the way up there. Grapefruit? All the way up there. Nice. Um, It's a moan, low and urgent, and the sound of falling dishes. Clint is slightly alarmed, calling out for Natasha as he turns into the kitchen and stops dead, unable to breathe. Natasha is sitting on the edge of the table, wearing absolutely nothing but one of Clint's undershirts, legs spread wide, with Bucky kneeling between them. 
<laughs> I love Winter Widow, but not like this. <laughs> um, he is eating her out like there's no tomorrow. Sloppy noise is now only too audible to Clint's ears. Natasha opens her eyes and she sees Clint. He's literally clutching the door frame to stay upright. And I'm just going to quote this directly here because I can't do it justice. Hi, honey, she says in that throaty purr that can bring an entire stadium full of people to their knees. Look what you made me do. And then it immediately cuts to late 2007, early 2008. So we have no idea what the fuck is going on. And I'm sitting here like, I really hope Bucky isn't a homewrecker. I hope this is an arranged situation that Clint knows about. It, just just sit with it for a moment. Like okay. absorb the fact that we just we ended with look what you made me do. Bucky on his knees between Natasha's legs and Clint standing in the doorway completely flabbergasted. Because uh, I couldn't read the next bit of 2007-2008 for, like, a solid five minutes. My brain just whited out. Uh, how could Cloud Atlas, who, you know, loves Clintasha, adore this fix so much if Natasha was, cleaning on, was cheating on Clint and I immediately sucked in a breath and dove back in because fuck it, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 2007 bit begins with Natasha attending Christmas dinner with her friend slash roommate slash band member Nakia at Nakia's fiance's house. Nakia. 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 Uh, either way. She's been worried that Natasha would be home alone eating a frozen dinner if she didn't, since Natasha's foster brother Steve flew back to visit their mom for Christmas. Natasha is grateful to Nakia, even though she knows... She Nakia. Her name is Nakia. I'm sorry. I'm really not trying to be a bitch. I'm really not. It's just that that's her name. It would be like calling Natasha Natosha. Like it's just, it's, it's Nakia. Okay. However, I've read, I've hardly ever, so this is the thing. I hardly ever watch the movies. I normally read stuff. Mm -hmm. So the way I read stuff and it's pronounced in my head is the way I pronounce it out loud, which, so I apologize in advance. It's going to piss Lindsay off. But it's going to happen throughout this entire fic. I'm going to be screwing it up. Okay. As long as you try, I can't be mad. So you know what? That's good. <laughs> um, Natasha's grateful to her, even though she knows Nakia doesn't quite get the whole how do I family thing she has. But she doesn't judge Natasha for it. We then get some standing of Queen Ramonda, which to be fair, we all should. Uh, and some gratuitous Natasha flirting with problematic-ass cousin Eric, wherein Natasha gets kicked under the table by Nakia and Eric by T'Challa, when Natasha gets a drunk text from their bass player, Jessica Jones. <laughs> Thankfully, Jess is coherent enough to tell Natasha which bar she's at, which is where we meet Clint Barton. His name tag says Scott, but Natasha calls him out on it because she's dragged Jess out of this bar more than once. We also find out who exactly this band contains. Nakia is keyboards, Jess is bass, Okoye is guitar, and they're currently auditioning for drummers for the War Dogs, as they call themselves. Nice. After Clint reveals he's a comedian who'd rather write the jokes than perform, and offers to help Jess to an AA meeting, Natasha reveals her role in the band. She is, of course, the lead singer. Hmm. And Clint is absolutely smitten. The chapter dumps to a 2016 article about the War Dogs and their latest music video, written by one Michelle Jones. It lays out that the ladies don't agree with their haters. It explicitly calls other famous artists their Avengers. Clap at the War Dogs and Beyonce will clap back. 
is a direct quote. Nice. They turn the word catfight on its head, changing it for, from a slur into an anthem. Cut back to 20 to, wow. Cut back to 2008 and Clint is kind of, but not really Jess's AA sponsor. They talk about Jess's background and reveal Jess knows a lot about Clint's. She mentions she can't go to a comedy bit he's doing because they're auditioning drummers again, but says Natasha might be free. And if Clint was ever going to ask for Natasha's number. And that is how we end chapter one. Chapter two picks up where chapter one left off, which is not a normal thing that happens. Normally we're jump cutting around. Mm. Uh, but it begins with Clint headed to his comedy bit. He's surprised to see Natasha actually came. Straight from work, even. Wait, question. Why couldn't Jess go if they were auditioning drummers because Natasha could? Like Because Natasha had to work. Jess didn't. And they had to go out of town to audition a drummer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I was like, because it's on. just it. Anyways, keep going. Yeah, that. Okoye and Jess go down because they're the ones that are free. Fair. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, he's surprised to see Natasha actually came straight from work, even, but freaks out a bit when he sees her kiss a big buff blonde when he sees her give a kiss to a big buff blonde, of course on the cheek, but thinking that Natasha brought a date. Clint psychs himself up wanting to blow her away. Like she had with, like she had with him with just a shitty karaoke machine. And he absolutely nails his routine. The big blonde next to Natasha laughing harder than anyone else. After the set, he goes over to say hello, learns that Steve is Nat's brother and offers to drive Nat home. Instead, or rather before, they walk and talk for hours. And we learn Natasha doesn't do this romance. Not since a mysterious James back in New York. Sex is fine, but not relationships. But she has to jump back in sometime, and it might as well be now. Everything is going great until Okoye calls, threatening to murder Jess. She's abandoned Okoye to have sex with one of the people they had auditioned for drummer, the best one they've had so far. Natasha agrees that if Jess fucks this up, it's death. But that if the drummer and Jess balance each other, Okoye sniffs out uh, at once that Natasha is on a date and immediately calls Nakia for details, which she doesn't have. <laughs> <laughs> Natasha tells Clint she's a package deal, and Clint says the magic words. Their first kiss comes after Clint says he'd rather have a package deal than a lone wolf. Yeah, so sweet. Two weeks later, after a crap shift at the bar she works at, Natasha walks out to find Clint with food and a warm car. He takes her back to his apartment, where Nat is urged to shower, eat, and relax. Instead, she walks out of the shower without a towel, and Clint drops the food. <laughs> the next day, they audition the drummer Val with the whole group, and it clicks. With the newly christened Valkyrie as their drummer, the War Dogs have truly begun. I love that Jess fucked Valkyrie. I think that's amazing. <laughs> she would. Well, I mean, they're both, you know, they both have their substance abuse problems. Mm -hmm. And they that's why she says if they balance each other, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, chapter cuts to 2012, where Val and Jess are having their wedding. Okoye is officiating, and we learn some friction between her husband, her and her husband, Wakabi, exists. Also, apparently, Sarah Rogers has opinions about Parks and Rec and is fighting with Kendrick Lamar about them. 
<laughs> they have like a Twitter beef? No, this is like at the wedding. <laughs> okay, Sarah- cool. That's so fun. This is a crack fic. I love it. <laughs> the war dogs are big now. They've outsold Bieber. Thank God. And this, we- <laughs> and this wedding is an event. In Val's dressing room, we officially meet James for the first time. For those of you who haven't guessed, James is also Bucky Barnes. Obviously. (laughs) Natasha might have made a move, but Tony Stark, their manager, sends his son in to escort Val to the aisle. His son, Peter Parker. So everyone go, aww. Because it's like this whole thing where they talk about how he adopted him, and it was just, it's so precious. We are now post-wedding, and Nat is lazily dancing with James. Things get a little heated, but James stops her. They're so close to fucking, even right there on the dance floor, but he stops her with three words. You miss Clint. Nat tries to pull away, but he stops her, saying she has to listen this time. He's not going to be second best, that she's run enough, and she needs to face what she's been running from. He loves her, and he knows she loves him but he's not going to be a landmine in all that shit. Natasha claims she doesn't love Clint, but James pulls one on her, something important. Would you lie to me? And that becomes like a really big plot point later, which is why I have it in quotes. Mm-hmm. Okoye pulls Natasha away before she has a full breakdown. She tells Natasha she needs to let her pain go. We still don't even know what Clint did, but Clint fucked up. And no one in the band will think Natasha's weak if she's ready to let it go. In the fine art of celebrity seating arrangements, Natasha had been put far from Clint. But when Nat goes out, her manager, T'Challa, her manager, comma, T'Challa, even James are there with Clint. James and Okoye push Clint and Nat in the same direction, and we learn Nat hasn't seen him for eight months. What did he do? do to fuck up so badly everyone there's nothing we just have this which is sucking me in even further natasha shivers and clint offers to go get bucky's jacket if she's cold and natasha is floored because she realized he's worried that offering his jacket would be an overstep she does still love him Mm. she never stopped they walk out into the vineyard the party is at talking about little things that aren't really little Clint had a TV show that bombed, but Natasha watched it all because she wanted to hear his voice. She tells him that James told her he fired something, and that Nat feels defective about the way James is so generous. She also asks Clint how he and James never hated each other. Both men could claim status as the love of her life, and both would be right. She didn't think they'd get along. But now they're as tight with each other as she is with them. Or was, at least, with Clint. But instead, Natasha tells Clint to come home. And then we cut to chapter three. Hmm. Uh, Opens with a single uh, 2018 Instagram post from at go buck yourself. (laughs) Then jumps back to 2010 and Seattle. Bucky, who at this point we really haven't seen much of, is couch surfing at his friend M'Baku's place. Since he's not paying rent, Bucky jokes about them being a couple, since he's basically M'Baku's house husband. They'd be M'Bucky. <laughs> Which, like, I read that and I had to stop because we go from this, like, super emotional thing to M'Bucky, and I was like, really? Yeah. 
They fight over the fact that Bucky has basically been forced to become a vegetarian since M'Baku won't allow meat in the house. He's getting restless. Bucky is always looking for something, and he's just not quite sure what it is. He goes to a baseball game, and around halfway through is just over it. He wanders Seattle until he reaches the club M'Baku is doing security for, and they both actually like the music of this band. Bucky convinces M'Baku to let him in to report back about the band by promising to go full vegan for a week. Yeah. The music is fire, and Bucky throws himself on the dance floor. He loves to dance. Always had. Natasha always had our first mention of her from his point of view on the timeline. Bucky doesn't want to think about her right now, so he dances with a guy instead and just inhabits the music. When he finally takes a break, he grabs a water and is chilling at the bar when a guy slams into him. It's an accident, but then he realizes, oh shit, it's Steve. We get a wonderful rehash of, I thought you were smaller. (laughs) (laughs) And then Steve drops the bomb that this is Natasha's band. Steve is their manager. Tony was their manager. Tony is their label. Their label, okay. Steve is their manager. Okay. Um, point of view cuts to Natasha tattling to Sam on Steve. Uh, Steve is Sam's boyfriend and has randomly invited Bucky to stay with him at Sam's house, which Sam is like a bigger comedian than even Clint is at this point. Mm. Um, Natasha is having feelings about it and desperately wants to call Clint, but he's on his own tour and with the time difference, she'd wake him up. Their tours will let them meet up in New York, though, where Clint will finally get to meet Sarah, and the War Dogs will be the musical guests on SNL. Nice. With, you know, Anne Hathaway specifically dropped in there, which is beautiful. Anne Hathaway's but, <laughs> but she still wants to call Clint. But how do you tell your current boyfriend, your ex, that was the reason you almost didn't take a chance with him, is now suddenly joining the last two weeks of your tour? <laughs> she doesn't call. Natasha heads downstairs to scrounge food, but finds Bucky has beaten her to it. Of course, she calls him James. It seems that, like, most writers, including myself, like to have Natasha call him James when everyone else calls him Bucky. Mm -hmm. She's cold to him. Has been since she saw him at the venue. She tells him that he doesn't just get to pick up where they left off, and he starts flirting, but she shuts him down. Says she's in love with someone, and asks James how long he thinks it took before she finally found someone else she could love. She waited for James. She stopped when she found Clint. James tries to figure out a way around this, and Natasha casually lobs the bomb that Bucky was in jail. That's why they'd split. He wouldn't let her or Steve visit or write, so when his year was up and he didn't come back, Natasha ran to the other side of the country. That's when she'd met Nakia and started the band. James had been the only constant in her life since she'd been six, and she needed a new constant. Turns out James went in with a private security firm trying to get his life back on track before he saw Steve and Natasha again. And he needed time to become himself again after prison. But by the time he got there, back to himself, it would have been too little, too late. He explains how he met M'Baku, and then, Would you lie to me? Natasha asks. Never you, he replies, and they both start to cry. Both accomplished liars, it had been the only real thing they'd had to give one another. They always tell each other the truth. 
That's when Natasha realizes she's forgiven him. She lets him know that if the other girls are okay with him staying on tour, he can stay, but only as a friend. Later that night, Jess tells Nat that if she wants Barnes gone, she'll make it happen. (laughs) All Natasha asks is if she'll stay with her tonight. She doesn't like to sleep alone on shitty nights, and Clint isn't there. This is not Slash. This is just best friends comforting each other, okay? We jump to two weeks later and in New York, and Bucky is nervous. He hasn't been back since he got out of prison. He manages to make Natasha smile, and he counts it as ground gained. He's been warned, but it's hard to imagine Clint as a real person. When they make it to Grand Central, Bucky jokes with Steve that there's no place like home. There's even a weirdo there waiting to greet them, except apparently the weirdo is Clint, because Natasha runs and jumps into his arms. Any minor hope Bucky has about getting back with Natasha is trashed. She obviously is head over heels for this guy. But then, here's the thing. Clint and Bucky hit it off. Like, instant best friends. Chapter 4. Then. 2014. Natasha is reminiscing about her friendship with Nakia. They're best friends. Emergency contacts. First call. When something happens, the works. And Nakia is the one who taught Nat that you don't have to keep score. You don't immediately have to pay her back for the burrito. Just take the burrito. (laughs) Specific quote there. She's the reason Nat knows how to collaborate and how you can argue without being cruel. But now Nakia is moving out of the city with T'Challa. Not that she's not happy for her. Uh, There's just not going to be any more spur-of-the-moment type things. But today, they're together, getting their nails done and floating in the pool. Nakia has made all of Natasha's favorite foods, but it's setting off warning flags for Nat. She asks if Nakia is leaving the band, which she vehemently denies. She wants to have a baby. But not only that, she wants the band to take a year off. She wants a baby, yes, but she wants the band to avoid burnout she can feel coming. And Natasha knows it. This is the first time she reveals that her partners have restructured their lives around hers. And then she mentions James first, then Clint. And this was where my lack of reading tags caught up to me. Uh, This wasn't just Clintasha. Nat hadn't been cheating on Clint with James. This fic is Winter Widow Hawk. And the first time I read it, my mind was fucking blown. You know that whole record scratch thing? Mm -hmm. My brain did that. (laughs) Like, legit, I heard the record scratch and I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Uh, I I didn't even process until a few paragraphs later when Natasha talks about how all three of them are still trying to figure out how they're going to fit back together after Nat has split from Clint over something we still know nothing about. (laughs) yeah so my brain is still processing this fact and i'm like what the fuck what the fuck what the fuck but if the war dogs take a year off it could be nat's turn to support clint's career as he supported hers she agrees when she gets back to her apartment both the guys are there they're on the bed when natasha tells them she wants to buy a house together for them cut to 2011 and an article by Jane Foster about Clint's first big Comedy Central hit. The part specifically mentioned is his bit about his girlfriend. 
I never knew relationships were supposed to make you feel better about yourself. <laughs> it slips into these secret concerts that the War Dogs are playing. A way to give back to the smaller venues they started out in, to connect with diehard fans, to play around with the music, and remind themselves what they love about it. This one is on Halloween, and Clint can finally go to it. His own career is finally taking off, but it's kept him on the opposite schedule from Nat. Bucky runs into him at the bar, M'Baku and some of the label security have it covered, so he's not working this one. Bucky's buzzed, so he's handsy, touching Clint around the waist and hugging his hip. Clint doesn't mind. Bucky always gets like this when he's had a couple. Clint notices a new tattoo and kind of gets disappointed. He will never get one himself, but he goes with Bucky to his artist Peggy's place called the Red Fedora, which is just beautiful. Um, and he likes to watch Peggy work. Then he and Bucky would usually go for pizza and hang. Bucky apologizes and Clint gives in to an impulse. He invites Bucky to dance. As they head onto the floor, Clint asks himself if this was really a good idea. He decided at the beginning he needed to be friends with Bucky. He knows Nat loves them both, and he doesn't want to drive her away. Bucky has been respectful, too. He doesn't openly go after Natasha, but he doesn't date. At all. He, but he does hang out with Clint and Nat a lot. It's weird to spend so much time with your girlfriend's ex. He gets that. But Clint likes Bucky for himself. They're dancing, and slowly the space between them closes. When Bucky's hands meet his hips this time, Clint feels drunk. He hasn't had a drink in five years, but he remembers how it feels. Natasha's eyes find his in the crowd, and she's riveted, singing right at them. And I'm going to quote the next bit, because it jumps from after the concert. Mm -hmm. He thinks in lyrics that night when he's eating Natasha out. When every noise she lets out is immediately swallowed by Bucky slotting his mouth over hers, kissing her like he's been starving for years. Because he has. Clint knows he has. And then there's a lot of really hot sex. And the section ends with me quoting again. Trick or treat, Bucky mumbles. His face is hidden in Natasha's hair. Both, Natasha moans. Both is good, Clint says, and reaches to hold Bucky's hand where it settled on Natasha's stomach. Mm. so we finally get the oh okay this is what the fuck is happening yeah <laughs> do we jump back to the we're getting there <laughs> the next section is titled 2011 still is titled 2011 still mm -hmm. natasha is still dealing with the fact that halloween wasn't just a one-time thing and it's not just trading that back and forth the guys are fucking each other too she knows it's gonna blow up on them but the boys just don't see it. She knows a crash is coming, but when it does, it's from somewhere she would have never guessed. It's just Clint and Nat that night, and they're trying to figure out who Clint wants to direct the pilot of his new TV show. Clint gets up to get drinks, and there's a knock on the door. Natasha is in ratty, comfy clothes, but since they both assume it's Bucky, she answers anyway. But it's a woman, a very put-together woman, her smile doesn't match her eyes, though, and when Natasha asks if she can help her, Oh, I think you probably can. I'm Laura. You must be the woman who's been sleeping with my husband. Nice to finally meet you. End chapter. <laughs> so now we finally know uh, how Clint fucked up. <laughs> yeah, 
he hit a whole ass marriage. He pulled a Mr. Rochester. Was Laura hiding well, in the attic? No, it's. I'm not going to get into it because I want people to read the fic, but it is explained in the later chapters. Okay. But this fic was posted a chapter at a time. It was hard enough for me to let the next page load. I can't imagine how it must have felt for people who actually had to wait for the next chapter to be posted. But given how in-depth I've gone on the first four chapters, there's a total of seven, the four chapters set up the dominoes and the other three let them fall. I'm not going to get into the last ones. Uh, because some things have to be surprises. Otherwise, why would you read the fic? Yeah. <laughs> but I do want to talk about the whole Clint Nat Bucky relationship gets revealed in the end because the way it does is just so cool. It's 2017 in media. That's how it's titled. Jess posts a picture on Instagram of Val and Okoye screaming at the TV. And in the comments, parsed out like they actually would be on Instagram, everyone keeps telling them to look in the mirror, where apparently Nat is kissing a man, not Clint, before the comments are disabled. It cuts to an Us Weekly article. Was Clint really so blind? Bucky is identified and reps give no reply, yada, yada, yada. Hmm. Second Instagram post. Okoye posting a pic of M'Baku in a pre-Grammy suit. <laughs> the way she, the comment she puts on it. The, my man's is what people would call a snack. <laughs> it's beautiful. But again, the comments are all about what's in the mirror. M'Baku comments, at go buck yourself. I fucking hate you. <laughs> Bucky adds him back with kissy lips emojis. Someone else tags at real Romanoff. Seems disrespectful. You approve of your husband kissing other men? At Real Romanoff just replies, yep, and gets 95,000 likes. At the end, we get a section called Now 2018, and it picks up exactly where we left off in chapter one, where Natasha's sitting on the table and goes, look what you made me do. Mm. And now I expect each and every one of you to go read this masterpiece, okay? Uh, it, both of them. We together make a city, and runaways are running the night. I will have links in the notes. Please, 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 please go read these and tell the authors how much you love them and how amazing their work is because I can't shut up about it. <laughs> I'm 100% going to go add it to my bookmarks like right now. Yay, I'll send you the link. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I'll do that right now, actually, while you get into your thing. Yes. So I have been, like Molly, reading fan fiction for a really long time. Technically, quantitatively, Molly has read it more years than me since she's older than me but in terms of i didn't read fan fiction until 2012 actually girl that's when i started reading <laughs> fan fiction holy <laughs> shit because that's what i mean i might have read a, I, I did read a couple before then but i didn't dive headfirst into fandom like i'd written what i didn't realize was fan fiction um for csi miami um where i basically created my own csi but I never posted it anywhere. It's still somewhere in my masses of paper that I have in a box under my bed. And, but I didn't like get fandom mm. until the Avengers came out in 2012 and I started shipping Clintasha so hard. So my first like dive into the deep end of fan fiction was 2012. Yeah. That's when I created Tumblr. That's when I got on AO3, all that jazz. Yeah, that's when I started reading fanfiction too. Okay, so not as not as big of a gap in 
years at all, actually, as I thought. Um, I have been reading fan fiction since middle school, although I guess technically my path to fan fiction started long before that. I would often, like Molly, write little bits in my journals about characters from my favorite books and movies, how they might have lived when the real story was over or before it started. And that was all in elementary school. I specifically remember doing that with um, after watching The Princess Diaries 2 <laughs> for the like 10th time and being like, what happens to Mia and Nicholas <laughs> afterwards? Um, so I, I did that. Um, <laughs> And so um, when it when we decided that this bonus episode would center around fan fiction, it felt like a long time coming uh-huh. because I have read fanfics for almost every single fandom that I've ever been a, pr- a part of. Some were quick, some were long, some were good, some were not so good. <laughs> and know that there is no subliminal correlation messaging there between length and quality. Although I personally prefer longer fix, um, just because I like to feel like I, I love a slow burn and it's hard to do a proper slow burn in a shorter fic. See, whereas I've written, <laughs> I actually wrote a fic and I tagged it. It's a fast slow burn. And it's like, then I caught, I talked in the tags and I was like, there's a 10,000 word pre-story to this, okay? We're just coming in right at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, fast slow burn. That's a thing. And see, my slow burns, I love it when you're like 50,000 words in and like they just start to like graze hands and like genuinely start to have feelings for each other or realize it. That's my shit. Yeah, see, um, I can't I can't do that. It just takes too long. I understand. It's a, like an attention span and preference thing. So that's cool. However, um, when considering what fic I would have the most to say about, I could think of only one author that provided what I needed. I um, had found The Great Lady Weeps on AO3 a while back. Um, That is all in lowercase, the underscore gray, spelled G-R-E-Y, underscore lady, underscore weeps. Um, But... She also publishes on Wattpad, for those of you that prefer that site. Um, not going to get into why I prefer AO3 over <laughs> Wattpad. We could be here forever. Um, oh, AO3 is just a much safer place for fanfiction authors. Let's go that way. It, it's safer, and the filtering system on like and the tagging system, I think, is a little bit more helpful for those who want to yes. look for very specific things or avoid very specific things. No, AO3 is amazing, and I, I can't... That is a good starting place. It's a starting place for a lot of people for fanfiction. See, fiction. I started at uh, fanfiction.net. See, and I started on Quotev, which is like, <laughs> everyone talks shit about Wattpad, and then I mention Quotev, and everyone's like... Actually, <laughs> I started on I started on Live Journal. Well, My the very first little Harry Potter fanfics I read back when like the fifth book had just come out, which was like my first like dip the toe in. That was on Live Journal, but I didn't like start reading fanfic until fanfiction.net. But AO3 is amazing. They're a complete nonprofit. They do all of this. They keep lawyers on staff to protect their writers. It's an archive. Please don't delete your fix. Orphan them if you have to. Don't delete them. And they're just adamant, adamant about protecting fanfic and fanfic authors. Mm -hmm. Love them. 
if you get a chance donate oh yeah they do like their fundraisers at different points but you can donate at any time yeah. if you want to um so anyways back to the gray lady weeps i inhaled her bucky barnes fan fiction the hurt and the healing before she had even finished it <laughs> um and sometime later i was on tiktok uh, this was like a couple months and it still wasn't finished because it was a long fan fiction i'm uh -huh. not kidding it's really long we'll get into that later so it wasn't finished and i had decided i was gonna wait i reached a like if you want to call the whole fan fiction a tv show and different major plot arcs seasons i'd finished the end of one particular season quote unquote and i was like i'm gonna wait a little bit to see you know when this updates and has more so that i don't you know have yeah. to deal with it because i like to binge watch all of my media <laughs> binge read all of my media that's just how i am so later i was on tiktok doing my thing scrolling and i saw someone talking about a fic that they had written about bucky barnes and i'm like oh cool and i kept watching because the algorithm knows me <laughs> and then they were talking about yeah actually in this fic bucky barnes gets the help he needs after everything with an actual like he, he actually has real healing and he you know like all of that uh with a main character that has a short temper and wields a baseball bat. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to give you guys a description here without actually making the noise because I don't want to do that to Molly or Cat Gidget. Um, Appreciate it. Yep. So basically, imagine a pterodactyl in flight. <laughs> um, I can already hear the noise. Yep. Because I've made it. You'll have a very good idea of the screech I made when I realized that it was for the hurt and healing. I spoke to the author. Hi, Catherine, if you're listening to this, I know we talked and I'm going to talk to you more about it probably as we get closer to this episode releasing. So, hey, what's up? Um, <laughs> and I got her permission to talk about the fic in this episode of the podcast. Um, so given that I've hyped up this fic pretty hard, uh, I should probably get into my actual review. Uh, spoilers for MCU canon as well as the fanfic plot in The Hurt and the Healing. Oh, and also, there are going to be heavy, like, heavy trigger warnings for depression, suicidal ideation, abuse, and torture. Um, so just keep that in mind. And um, when this is just me discussing it, but also if you decide to read the fanfiction, um, all of the trigger warnings and particularly difficult chapters are tagged ahead of time to like let people know hey this is going to be a difficult chapter or even this chapter is going to include these things and that's what i another thing i love about ao3 is you can read the tags beforehand which again i did not do <laughs> so i was very surprised when things happened but they're there so that you can filter out things that could potentially be triggers for you mm -hmm. Um, so also, I just have to say, I love that we both did MCU. Yes. <laughs> we're nerds. I 100% thought you were going to do a leverage fic and then there's nope. <laughs> so it's wonderful, but let's dive into the hurt and the healing. We open with Mara Anderson getting off work at the hospital. Uh, she's exhausted and cranky, but given that she worked as one of the few remaining doctors in Manhattan after the snap, uh, this has been kind of a run-of-the-mill day in comparison. Uh, when she arrives home to the apartment she shares with her Nona, uh, she finds a stranger in her grandmother's kitchen chopping vegetables. Um, of course, she does what any normal woman would do in a scenario when a strange man is holding a knife in her house. Uh, she says if he makes one wrong move, she'll kick him out on his ass. 
For good measure, she takes one of her many baseball bats with her into the bathroom while she washes off before dinner. She's an icon, a legend. She's the moment. Um, <laughs> can you guys guess who the guy is holding the knife, chopping vegetables in her kitchen? Um, oh, well, I get, I mean, I already spoiled that in the intro. <laughs> but it, it's Bucky! Ah! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> this point in the hurt and the healing he is in the middle of the plot from the falcon and the winter soldier show uh which is including the assignment from his therapist to reconcile with the families of those affected by the actions of the winter soldier i'm gonna pause really quickly because oh <laughs> sorry you'll find out in a later episode that we recorded before this um that i hurt my back really bad and She's i just wearing a brace <laughs> i just took this brace off and my entire body just relaxed so that's what that loud ripping noise was. Anyway, continue. I apologize. So, during this tense dinner, Nona reveals that Mara is, well, not her actual granddaughter. She's her granddaughter-in-law, almost. Um, granddaughter-in-law, almost? almost? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Mara was engaged to Alex, who was Nona's grandson, who died while serving overseas. Um, yeah. No, sorry. My, my gut is so happy. I mean, also, oh no, but also, can't breathe. Sorry. You good? Yes. Anyways, it's very sad. Alex died. Sorry, man. Boo-hoo. Um, so, it's clear that Mara has a lot, of, a lot of bitterness from having lost her fiancé, as well as her parents, who died when a driverless car crashed into them after the snap. So. Okay, I was going to say driverless car. Oh, after the snap. Okay. After the snap. Like, there was a driver in the car, in another car. Got snapped. Got snapped, and then the car continued to careen into the car that her parents were in, and they were not snapped, but they still died. Yeah. And so, like. No, it took me a minute. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, can we really blame her for not trusting Bucky, especially when she can tell that he's hiding something? I mean, we know that he's hiding his true identity from her and Nona, and yet there could be something else hmm. but we'll get to that later <laughs> that's a surprise tool that'll help us later <laughs> it's a surprise mouse tool <laughs> oh my god um, i told you guys this is gonna be unhinged <laughs> so um he continues to periodically come over and Mara's like, eh, she, she's not warming up to him. Nona loves him. She's the Italian grandmother that everybody deserves. <laughs> um, but Mara gets mugged one night after taking the bus home from the grocery store and the sack of flour and soup cans in her backpack make for a surprisingly good weapon to fight off the mugger. Um, so keep that in mind. <laughs> soup cans and flour in a backpack. Whack! <laughs> Anything heavy in a backpack, really. But the flower is like a blinding agent, too. Yeah, um, yeah. Although both she and the mugger um, end up covered in flour. Bucky. Well, easy way to identify him as he's running down the street. Well, <laughs> we'll get to that. So Bucky's at the apartment with Nona when Mara runs upstairs. But Mara kicks him out and panics to Nona about losing their groceries for the week carefully couponed and budgeted out like she was like man i'm good at the store and then this shit happens and it's like well fuck <laughs> um of course bucky has super soldier hearing and catches the story through the walls of the apartment and sets off for a bit of vigilantism <laughs> spider-man would be so proud and bucky would hate to be compared to spider-man yes yes he would <laughs> 
he leaves the unconscious mugger in a dumpster, uh, kind of giving a, well, who cares moment when he considers the possibility of the man getting dumped into a garbage truck. Um, you know, the garbage trucks where they like kind of slowly crush the garbage uh -huh. in them. He's like, eh, it's petty. It's just a tad violent. It's protective. It's fucking hot. Oh my <laughs> god, I've always had a fictional character crush on Bucky. Hence the fact that I was reading this fic in the first place all that time ago. But there is something about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier era Bucky that just uh -huh. mm, gets me. <laughs> you know? And the Grey Lady Weeps only gives us more layers to, to Bucky. And she actually like has him work through his trauma in a believable way. Plus these kind of borderline, not really border, these unhinged moments that make me question if I have a problem since I'm kind of sort of really attracted to Bucky in this fan fiction. <laughs> I'm not just attracted to him in the unhinged moments, just letting you guys know for those of you who are worried about Well, I mean, me. Sebastian Stan. Oh, Sebastian Stan. So good. Sebastian Stan is golden. Speaking of golden, um... Another golden moment in this fic, Nona references the plot of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show when she says she feels for why the Flag Smashers are doing what they're doing. Not that she accepts the actions themselves, but the pain that fuels it. Um, anyways, she also just rips into John Walker being pointed Captain America. She calls <laughs> him an asshole in Italian. Yes. And then says he should be called Captain America first. Because that's how he <laughs> behaves. <laughs> Right? That's beautiful. Nona is a national treasure who deserves literally everything. <laughs> um, so, um, the plot of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier isn't really the focus of this fic, despite the occasional references to the plot. Uh, at one point, Bucky is in a convenience store that gets robbed, and he fights off the three guys, but he gets thrown through the large glass window at the front of the store. Um, he doesn't want to go to the hospital, doesn't want to have to answer questions that would reveal his identity, so who does he turn to? His acquaintance slash frenemy slash doctor who can mind her own business, Mara. <laughs> she patches him up and discovers his prosthetic arm that Shuri designed, asking why he keeps it a secret all the time because she thinks it's really fucking cool. She like nerds out because she's like a doctor and she's like seeing different people with different levels of prosthetics and stuff. She's like, what the fuck? This is awesome. Um, and this is when things uh, go to shit the first time. <laughs> he goes to shit several times. Um, he knows that he can't keep the truth from Mara any longer and reveals that he is, in fact, the Winter Soldier. Bucky lets her know that he wasn't actually responsible for the attacks on the UN and the death of King T'Chaka, but that the Winter Soldier was a highly utilized assassin for Hydra who was sent to kill many people. Mara starts to push back, not wanting to go any further, not wanting to hear as he starts to say a date that she knows all too well from the reports. But it's no use. Bucky knows, she knows, us readers know that the Winter Soldier killed Mara's fiance, Alex. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so Mara is understandably broken over this and kicks him out of the apartment, um, literally threatens him with one of the baseball bats again. And it's almost funny, but also you're still like, your heart is breaking. So you're like, I, I feel bad for laughing. Um, but he leaves Sam a voicemail and wander. Uh, okay, this is where we get into um, specific trigger warning for suicidal ideation. It shouldn't take me more than like a minute or two to talk about. So you can just skip ahead in the podcast um, if you need to and don't want to hear the specific part. 
he wanders the city um, and leaves Sam a voicemail. Um, he ends up at a bridge wondering how he got there, wondering what would happen if. But, of course, Sam shows up and lets him know that he's done, that Bucky has done all he can do until Mara decides to reach out to him again if she does. It's a little, there's little funny jokes in there because, of course, you know, Sam doesn't show up at first. He, he sends Red Wing as like a quick scout and Red Wing <laughs> shows up first and he said, listen, man, get your old ass off that ledge or Red Wing will be the one to save you and I will never let you live that down. Wish Bucky Barnes turned 105 on the 10th, by the way, so... We love a geriatric potty. <laughs> well, no, because in the winter, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, he... He specifically says, like, she asked him how old, how old are you? 100 and whatever. And she goes, yeah. <laughs> you're so funny. And he's like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they just know that, like, there's nothing more Bucky can do until Mara decides to reach out if she ever does. Uh, Mara, once she has had enough time to uncontrollably sob and stare blankly at the wall, um, a mood. Yeah, um, seriously. She calls off of work, also a mood, uh, and goes to her friend, who happens to be a pretty good hacker. Uh, this friend, they get Mara all of the information they could on the Winter Soldier, including the partially censored transcripts from the trial in which Bucky was pardoned. It's then that Mara realizes just how much of a victim Bucky was, and she texts and asks him to meet her at a park. Once there, she tells him that she knows pretty much everything, and he prepares for her to yell at him to say he can never come over or even talk to Nona again, but she doesn't. Instead, she drops a line that just... Actually, I'm going to read directly what the Grey Lady Weeps uh -huh. wrote. If I had known what you went through, I, I never would have... You should not apologize to me, Bucky protested. I killed... I killed the man you loved. I deserve everything you said and more. No, she whispered. No, you don't deserve any of that. You did not kill him. The Winter Soldier did. And you are not the Winter Soldier. You are Bucky Barnes. You are a good man, a kind man. And the fact that you are still able to be good and kind after everything you have been through is nothing short of a miracle. He felt his tears begin to prick at his eyes, and he wiped them away with his sleeve. She didn't hate him. Not anymore. Not after everything he had done. She didn't hate him. Bucky, she said softly, I cannot forgive you, because there is nothing to forgive. Aww. Those words break Bucky, and they had me tearing up when I read them. <laughs> Each time I read them, actually, I was even starting to get a little choked in my throat, but not teary-eyed just now, because I had to prepare. I'm like, you know what's coming. You know what's coming. Do not break <laughs> down on the podcast. Um, things get smoother for Bucky and Mara from there, since she is no longer really having to suspect him of something nefarious, since he's no longer hiding anything from her. Nona, of course, grieves equally for the loss of her grandson and for the pain that Bucky has had to go through. We love a compassionate <laughs> queen. Ugh. Nona. Nona's the MVP of this fic. For real. Of course, good things can't last when there's still 70 or so chapters left in this <laughs> fan fiction. Remember when I told you it was really long? Mm -hmm. We're only like 20 chapters in. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> Mara realizes that at some point her phone has been hacked. And Bucky suspects that it has to do with their association that has blossomed into a genuine friendship. 
That suspicion is confirmed when Mara is forced at gunpoint to get into a car with a mysterious man called Dr. Moivinev, who wants to know more about Mara's knowledge of the Winter Soldier and what she knows about the circumstances of Alex's death, strangely enough. Uh, he lets her go at her apartment, where she tells Nona they need to pack quickly to leave. Um, she gets a message to Bucky, um, surreptitiously, who arranges for them to get to a safe place. Yori's place, in fact. That's Yori from the Falcon and the Winter mm -hmm. Soldier, uh, for any listeners who might be confused. Yori's not the only familiar face pulled into the escape and subsequent investigation. No, Mara and Nona are flustered when Captain America himself, Sam Wilson, arrives. They literally are like, holy shit, holy shit, holy <laughs> shit. And of course, Sam is doing his like charming ease thing uh -huh. that he's perfected over time that yeah. wasn't always easy for him. But like now, like he's fully coming into it. He flirts with Nona a little bit, like, it, but like jokingly, but also you're kind of like, yeah. Sure. You know, it's the young guy flirting yeah. with the, the older lady <laughs> and, great. you know, the older lady is just like, like oh. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> so Sam and Bucky reveal that they are all going to Wakanda. Well, minus Yori. Sorry, bro. <laughs> um, but that the four of them are going to Wakanda to speak with someone who knows almost everything about the Winter Soldier program and can hopefully give an idea of what Alex has to do with Mara's almost kidnapping. If any of you are listening, uh, are deciding to play along and guess who they're going to speak with, if you guessed Zemo, good for you. <laughs> Gold star on paying attention to context. <laughs> Salute to you. Anyways. Mara bonds with Shuri over the technical design of Bucky's prosthesis, while Sam and Bucky go to the prison to speak with Zemo. Zemo reveals that Dr. Moivinev is a scientist that works from a country called Latveria that was close to Sokovia, specializing in weaponry and experiments. The treatments are apparently horrible enough that even Zemo doesn't want to share details out loud, so you know oh. it's got to be extra fucked up. Uh, <laughs> it's wild. Um... With some convincing uh, that they will ensure Zemo will be returned, Shuri allows them to take Zemo out so they can attempt to figure out just what Moivinev wants with the information about Alex's involvement. Um, and it's the involvement with the experiment they know only by the name Project Resurrection. I hear resurrection and <laughs> my fundy trauma brain is like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, my... My brain goes to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Tahiti. Fair. The Tahiti Protocol. Anyways, Zemo manages to get them a two-person invitation to a scientific display event at a university in Latveria, uh, which is actually a cover for auctioning off the technology and weapons that the world governments would not approve of. So it's like, yeah, we're getting funding for the university. We're also selling black market shit. Don't look too close. Um... <laughs> Because of the information that they are able to steal while attending the event, they learn that Alex was involved in an experiment that was seeking to recreate the super soldier serum entirely. That Moivinev is in the process of intensifying it so that whoever is injected with it will automatically heal, which makes them virtually unkillable if this happens. So Wolverine. Basically. <laughs> Although, if y'all have seen Logan, <laughs> you know, that's not the case. Well... Anyway, anyway, that's that's going too deep into the comic lore. I'm not going to dive into that deep yes. end. <laughs> so just what the Marvel Cinematic Universe needs, not only villains with superhuman strength, but ones you can't even kill. 
that's not a horrible thought to have because <laughs> at least every villain thus far even if they've been almost ridiculously hard to kill could be killed yeah they you could get someone shot in the head stabbed like impaled through the chest and it would be like two minutes later they were just fine i mean they didn't kill dormammu but <laughs> they did make him go away yeah fair of course, the others still have a way to go before they have the full picture, but they know that they have to stop Moivinev. Uh, calling in some favors, Sam manages to use the satellites to see where Moivinev's hidden lab is located, and they formulate a plan. Bucky, Sam, and Zemo will infiltrate the lab to see what information they can find, or a way to stop the development of Moivinev's serum. However, it doesn't exactly go to plan. They're ambushed, and Bucky is knocked out with a gas just after he makes Sam promise to get out and protect Mara. Back where they're waiting. Mara freaks the fuck out when Zemo and Sam return to the safe house without Bucky. Um, but they don't really have a lot of time to ruminate on their anxiety when alarms go off in Zemo's mansion. So, Moivinev allowed them to escape only so he could send a bomb and kill them all. Fun. Seriously. Catherine. If you're listening to this, what the actual fuck? <laughs> Can anyone get a break in this fucking fic? Um, like I'm mostly kidding. Like I'm I'm mostly kidding. Because Only I'll, mostly. I'll, I will still read everything you write, but come, come on. Uh, a fucking nuclear strike right after Mara realizes that Bucky's been kidnapped. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, uh, Mara is not the only one going through it, as the aforementioned kidnap victim, uh, Bucky, regains consciousness, only to realize that Moivinev has intended for this to end in Bucky's capture all along. Uh, <laughs> he also decides to traumatize him by showing him a video of the nuke strike on Zemo's mansion to try and further push him over the edge. The <coughs> asshole. <coughs> Sorry about that. The asshole, I'm sorry. <laughs> the asshole doctor. He's a doctor. We have to show assholes a certain amount of respect when they're doctors. Not really. Oh um, my God. Anyways, he starts torturing Bucky with electroshock, stress positions, and wiping his memory. And soon Bucky begins to hallucinate. Uh, we He starts like forgetting certain things um, and just straight up hallucinating. Uh, like seeing Steve or Mara at different points. They're talking to him when they're not actually there. Uh, we flip back to Mara's perspective and find out that it's been nearly two months that Bucky has been kidnapped, and she's starting to lose hope of finding him when Shuri is able to track the signature of the vibranium in Bucky's arm to locate his whereabouts. Zemo and Sam find Bucky and get him back to Zemo's smaller safe house, but Bucky is so broken that he's bleeding out almost as fast as Mara can pump blood into him. She works for hours and hours, and finally, Bucky stabilizes enough that they realize he's going to make it. She breaks down, laughing and crying as she holds on to Sam, and they all take a breath. Bucky's here, he's alive, and that is enough for a while. When he wakes up, we get another shot. He has a damaged memory and cannot speak because of something in his brain preventing it. Catherine? Catherine? <laughs> Why must you hurt us in this way, Catherine? <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> Don't worry, though. Um, 
Mara and Bucky are able to work through a physical therapy plan in the following weeks where he begins to regain his movement um, and speech as well as a slow trickle of memories. He and Mara admit their feelings for each other in the cutest fucking scene that I am once again going to read directly to you. You are James Buchanan Barnes, a good, kind, and gentle man. How can you be so sure of that? Buggy asked, hating that he was forcing her to keep assuring him and yet desperate to hear those words fall from her lips. How can you be sure that I am those things? Because I would not have fallen in love with you if you weren't, she answered simply. Bucky waited for her to add on to that sentence, waited for her to retract it or amend it or even slap him across the face and tell him that all of this had been some elaborate scheme to get revenge on him. But she did none of those things. Instead, she sat before him, one hand clutching his and the other holding his face, eyes burning and tears shining and smile bittersweet. I love you, Bucky, she said softly. And I know you don't remember me and you don't have to say it back, but... He leaned forward and kissed her, careful not to press too hard, but needing nothing in the world more than her lips against his. Okay, Catherine, I've forgiven you for the angst you put us through. If my constant comments on AO3 and TikTok weren't enough of an indication of the fact that I've forgiven you and <laughs> all that. <laughs> um, and it's truly wonderful to see that Bucky and Mara have found this little bit of joy after all the pain that they have been through. But, of course, things are far from perfect. Bucky, being Bucky, says he will not be able to rest or truly enjoy his time with Mara until he makes sure that Moivaniv can no longer hurt those he loves, or anyone else for that matter. So he leaves the others behind and travels for days, staying awake the whole time. Tisk tisk. Until he sees Moivinev through the open window of his car. He fires a shot and sees the man fall, but does not leave until he sees the special bullet rig. Um, it creates an explosion that sets the car on fire. And he's like, oh, he's dead. He's dead. So then he leaves. He returns to Mara and the others, and they all go back home. It's over. Except for the fact that they all have a new boatload of trauma to unpack. But other than that, things really can't get too bad again, right? Right, Catherine? Um, <laughs> despite the fact that there's 30-ish chapters left after this point, I'm going to leave you all here. Because I really think that everyone who loves Bucky, who loves Marvel, should read the entirety of The Hurt and the Healing for themselves. If your attention span can hold up to that. Um, we know Molly probably will not be. No, see, here's Maybe. the thing. I could. You could. I can read long fix. It just... I can't read original character fiction. Mm. I can't do it. I can't. I mean, if he was with Natasha, if he was with Steve, if he was with any of the Avengers, great. Original characters just yank me out of the story and I can't do it. Fair. It's not for everybody. But I think if that in any way sounds like something you could enjoy at all, you should read it for yourselves. It's a time commitment, but I have yet to find another fic that truly encapsulates the canon characters and their personalities while bringing in new elements, plot, settings, and even people. Well, I've really yet to find another fic besides the current one on Catherine's profile, which happens to be a stunning piece about Criminal Minds that is still being updated as of us recording this episode. Although apparently there's only 10 chapters left. So like, 
you're you're doing a heckin' concern. I'm I literally was like, what the fuck? I commented. I'm like, no, oh my god, why? And she's like, if it makes you feel better, it's still like fifty thousand words. <laughs> well, I mean, um, <laughs> Runaways Run in the Night was only supposed to be four chapters and it evolved into seven. So you never know. You never know. Um so Please do yourselves a favor and check out The Grey Lady Weeps on either AO3 or Wattpad and follow her on TikTok too while you're at it. And Catherine, thank you really for the wonderful work that you do. You stand to gain nothing financially from this and you still put out beautiful stories that show all of humanity, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the breathtakingly hopeful. So thank you for that. Thank you for the hurt and the healing as well as everything else you do. Yeah, and I haven't been able to contact another cover, but uh, Cloud Atlas, thank you so much for letting me use your work. Um, thank you for <laughs> letting me get a tattoo based on your work. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, but I mentioned earlier, I, I'd written a sentence that, you know, sometimes you just write something and you get chills all over. Mm -hmm. I found it. You want to read it? I found it. It's from a leverage fic because I love the leverage OT3. Yeah. Um, we love you, she whispered, and those rare and glorious words falling from her lips came down like rain upon the parched desert of his heart, and he felt it bloom. And I'm just like, I'm proud Damn. of that. I'm proud of that line. I'm really proud of that line. Yeah. So, since we've talked about other people's fan fictions, do we want to plug our own fan fiction? I mean, we totally could. If you're listening to this, um, I write as Delektorsky Chick, and I will spell that out for you in the comments because I don't spell it the way that you're supposed to spell it. Um, it's been my handle for years. <laughs> it's based on a CSI Miami character, just, you know, throwback. Um, I mostly write uh, Leverage OT3 fic. Um, Clintasha, of course. Clintasha's always there. I do have a couple of others. Rizzoli and Isles. Um, Rizzoli and Isles has only recently come about because I did um, Wumptober, <laughs> which was very fun. And that was the first time I really like dipped my toe into Rizzoli and Isles. I have a couple of things that like I'm still working on mm -hmm. um, that I haven't posted. Uh, but I have 51 works currently posted on AO3. Uh, some of them are very old, and I wish for you not to look at them, but I leave them there because it's an archive. Um, but let me pull up my statistics. Yeah, I've been on AO3 since 2013, or at least posting since 2013. Um, my word count is not super high um, comparatively because I do write the shorter fiction. Um, my word count is sitting at almost 270,000, but that again is just stuff I've posted that does not include the last two, um, NaNoWriMo's. Uh, so that's like an extra 100,000 words plus the sequel that's 100,000 words. So, mm. you know, there's, there's more out there. Um, but... I have a lot of, I've, I've got a lot of different stuff in there. I've got a Black Widow movie one that makes me cry and I wrote it. Oh yeah. It made me cry. Oh my gosh. Um, and I've actually got 
a Buffy the Vampire Slayer one on there. Um, I have one for Elementary, which if you guys don't know, Elementary is the best Sherlock Holmes adaptation ever. It's so much better than Sherlock. It And this is coming from someone who loved the show Sherlock. I love Elementary more. Mm. It's so much better. It has Lucy Lewis Watson. Like, you can't top that. Um, I have stuff in here. <laughs> I have a Marvel Law & Order SVU crossover I'm working on. <laughs> um, and then I have a crap ton of leverage. Like, a lot. Um, I've got one crossover with Leverage and the show Lucifer, which is very good. I love that fic. Uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, and then I've got just a couple other little things. But yeah, it's Leverage and Marvel are the ones I've written the most. So I will post a link to my profile. And Lindsay, you also have an AO3. I do. Um, I uh, publish under uh, Lindsay May Writes. Um also going to have Molly spell that out in yeah. the description for you guys, <laughs> just because there's a million different ways to spell Lindsay um, and May and May. So it's just like, you know, maybe just we'll be specific. Um, I have less number of fan fictions written and published as Molly, but that's also because I do the opposite end of the spectrum where I write longer. Yes. Fics. I, I need instant gratification. So I write shorter things mm -hmm. and I'm like, I need, the pay i need the big payoff after a long wait um so <clears throat> i have a series called thunderstruck that is started off as a descendants fan fiction while also playing into like the idea of percy jackson only in concept of like demigods and stuff um and that was like the first i have uh, published other fan fictions on other sites that have since been deleted because they were just so fucking bad. Um, I don't want <laughs> anyone to ever find them. Um, if you do somehow find them, <laughs> please keep it to yourself. Um, anyways, um, so this is the, I really count this as the first ones that I've published because they're the ones that I keep around. At the moment, I'm still updating a um, Marvel fan fiction, uh, which is, um, like a cottagecore uh, lesbian um, rents rooms out to Wanda and Pietro Maximoff because Pietro survived because I think that was fucking dumb. Um, <laughs> and uh, Vision's still dead. Um, and Wanda like is going through like a healing process um, in addition to figuring out how to just live again. Um, and they are actually romani and jewish in the fan fiction as they were in the comics they're not whitewashed like they are in the mcu um and i do have notes in there on yeah who i picture to play them um and i'm also at the moment working on a pirates of the caribbean fan fiction it's another <laughs> really long one um i am in edit first round of edits for the first 20 chapters they're completed i just need to edit and smooth things out so i'll probably be posting that pretty soon definitely hopefully by the time that this episode comes out so enjoy um and as always fan fiction is just as valid as other art forms as other literature yes. it can be goofy but so can others it can be really smutty 
so can fucking 365 days and 50 shades of gray but also a lot of times in fan fiction there's a better concept on consent and actual like yeah like kinks and stuff and not misunderstood by people who didn't do really any research um and it can also really like move you so as evidenced by yeah no i mean like i oh my god i have a lot of favorite books but I have a lot of favorite fanfics, too, that just, I want literally, I literally have part of a fanfic tattooed on my body. (laughs) Like, it is on my body, and I will post a picture with that. Uh, But, yeah, so, fanfic, awesome. So, yeah, fanfic. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful world of fanfic. Um, (laughs) And this was our special episode that comes on the fifth week of uh april so in two weeks um we're gonna may we're going to have our ya nonfiction. Mm -hmm. um and that one oh that's gonna be a wild ride (laughs) oh yeah uh one of our shorter episodes but it's gonna be a wild ride we Um, we we pack a punch into small (laughs) bite-sized bits just like molly's fan fictions All right, so we are going to give you guys our outro, and we will see you in two weeks. Enjoy. So we've kind of name-dropped ourselves with our AO3 handles. Oh, Lord, we just kind of (laughs) lobbed a Molotov cocktail, didn't we? I hope it doesn't come back to bite us in the ass. It probably will. (laughs) Um, But you can find Library Fugitives on social media. So that's TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Tumblr, and those are all at Library Fugitives. Mm-hmm. Come join us; it's a wild ride. We are, we are trying to figure out how to be better about regularly posting on the social media side of yeah. things. So, um, hopefully, if you <laughs> see sporadic posts from the past, you're like, I don't know if I want to be here. Please stay around. I promise, it it, it, it gets better. It, it gets better. We will we would love to have you around yeah we also have um an email if you'd like to get in contact with us and that is library fugitives podcast at gmail.com so remember y'all stay weird and unhinged in, <laughs> in the stacks out there and also just read fan fiction yes bye, bye.